Hello, and welcome to the Talking Food Allergy Podcast from Allergic Living. I'm your host, Jen Jobrak. In this episode, I'm joined by the fascinating Dr. Sarah Boudreaux-Romano, an allergist, food allergy parent, food allergy educator, and, as we'll hear, a woman who recently discovered her own severe food allergy. Please join us. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for being one of our first guests on this new podcast, and we're so happy to have you. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. So one of the things that's so interesting about you is that you are a professional allergist, but also a food allergy mom. Did you seek a profession in allergy before your children were born or diagnosed? I ended up picking allergy immunology and loving it. And then after um, I started my fellowship, I was pregnant with twins. And um, after they were born is when everything started. So I was well into my allergy fellowship before I had children with food allergy. So what was the first moment that you realized you were food allergy mom? What was that suspected moment and then the diagnostic moment? What happened? So the first moment really was one of the twins um, was basically born with hives and eczema. And so I probably delayed a diagnosis more than uh, most people because I just kept thinking this can't possibly happen to me. Um, So I would say, you know, after three months of very, very bad skin, not sleeping at night, bloody sheets in the morning, that I finally said, "This this may be a problem. And I brought him into my colleague. We tested him for milk allergy, and it was positive. And then it just kept rolling from that point forward. What was that emotional moment like for you to go from the academic and the clinical and the the knowledge you had as a professional and as a student of allergy to now all of a sudden you're affected as a mom? It was really hard for me. You know, when you're a physician and I spent so much of my time being um, very much in control of every situation, then I have these children with food allergies and I realize that one, I'm not in control, but also that same feeling of being in control was now a benefit to me and a benefit to keeping my kids safe. And that actually, I think that was one of my biggest struggles with it is first the, the profound sadness and the guilt of having kids with food allergy, thinking it's your fault. What did I do? I had one kid before who had no food allergies. So what did I do differently in the pregnancies? How was there a way to sort of blame myself? And then realizing the patients that I had sort of sent home to live their life with new diagnosis and not really understanding what that meant for them. Mm -hmm. Constant vigilance, going home after the appointment and relearning how to live your life, cleaning out cabinets. How do you maintain that um, safe environment for your allergic child at home in the midst of everyone else's food needs? And so that became sort of um, a puzzle that I did not appreciate fully what parents were going through. You said something very interesting about the guilt that you felt and looking for things that you had done wrong while your twins were in utero. At some point, you stopped having that feeling, right? Or do you, do you think it's something that sort of lingers as a food allergy mom? I think that the guilt subsided. I still feel sadness about it. I, you know, you always want your kid's life to be easier than yours. Mm-hmm. That part of it is still sad for me, mm-hmm. watching them have the struggles, watching them have to carry huge 
thermoses and, and bags full of food to their eighth grade retreat when everyone else just jumps on the bus. That sort of sadness doesn't go away, but I think that the guilt of thinking that somehow I played a part of that has released a little bit. But there are still parts of it that don't. When we were diagnosed, it was avoid, avoid, avoid. Now it's intro, 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 right? And so I also think like, well, did my avoidance contribute right. to the multiple food allergies right. that my son, who has you know the worst eczema, now has? Were there other factors that um, actually made it worse? Right. Um, which of course, at that point, that was the, that was the general recommendation. So it's not like I would have done anything differently. But I think having a handle on that and thinking, what could I have done differently, and would that have impacted him differently? So speaking of doing differently. Think back to when your twins were first diagnosed. I think of my own time when my son was young and I made a lot of mistakes. I didn't understand the importance of carrying epinephrine at all times. I didn't really understand how to read food labels. Um, Now you come at it because you had professional training, Mm -hmm. so you probably had several legs up compared to the normal parent who receives that diagnosis. But can you think of any either mistakes you made or things you, you, you did back then mm-hmm. that you do differently now? A pivotal moment for me was when the kids were, I don't know, maybe they were like six or seven years old, and one of the twins said to me, well, it's going to be really weird to be like a mom and a dad. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, you don't eat dinner anymore. And I realized that I was cooking to their allergies, and I would not eat it. And I think that that was a really big moment for me because I realized the importance then of like modeling eating and modeling being happy while you're eating and not delivering it to the table and that being enough. It was like, well, if that food isn't good enough for me to eat, then what do I need to do differently? Mm-hmm. That was a big moment for me. And when I, that's really what got me into the kitchen because I had a lot of resentment about the kitchen. I had a lot of resentment toward food and I just wanted to get it done. Mm-hmm. I wanted to feed them and I wanted to get it done. So I think that that moment was a big change for our family because I started to make food. I insisted I was able to eat too. Mm -hmm. Now you've written extensively about your food allergy journey as a family, and I think you've written about a road trip. Yes. And I know that that was a big, very popular topic uh, on the Allergic Living uh, site. Could you tell us a little bit about what it was like for you to prepare for the road trip and what you think your family got out of it? So that was a big challenge. It was something I sort of like put on myself. I wanted to be able to take a road trip. So it was a lot of preparation. Um, You know, it's looking for um, hotels that have full kitchens. We always brought all of our pots and pans. I mean, I can't trust a toaster on the road. We packed food, you know, in our suitcases so that we knew. I called grocery stores ahead of the time to see if they, what kind of food they carried. I actually had a store special order me energy uh, tapioca bread to be delivered at the store because I was worried we wouldn't have enough. But I've also, on that same trip, gone to a place that said they had it and been crying in the grocery store, thinking I now I have literally no bread. I don't know what they're going to eat. So there were definitely ups and downs, but we managed to somehow you know feed them each meal, and, and it worked out. And I think that pushing yourself to do these things you want it's the experience the kids want in fact one of my sons said I'm like a dog on a leash that was a hard for me to hear but we made a lot of changes since then and and he's very happy with the increased independence he wants food independence and it's important for him I'm the mother of a 14 year old and 
uh, teenagers are risk takers mm -hmm. by, by nature. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of letting the leash have a little slack in it, yeah. so to speak? I mean, it's really tough, and I sort of alluded to this before. It's like what was what I would consider one of my biggest weaknesses was this need for control then became almost my greatest food allergy mom strength is controlling things, being able to talk to people and make things work for my kids and schools. And that transition and in, in sort of responsibility starts to switch. And they want they want it to be, throw it at me. Mm -hmm. I can do it. And you're, just for reference, your, your children are how old now? Uh, the thir 13. 13. Mm -hmm. One time Dylan, um, you know, texted me a screenshot of something from a camp he wanted to go to. And um, it said that we they feel confident that they can prepare food for top eight allergen and says, I will work on this. You need to trust this. And I, I mean, it moved me because it's, it's he wants the power. And it's a very tough thing to let him share in that. But it's also a necessity because in five years he's going to college. So that transition, as hard as it is for me, he needs it. But if I bring him to a grocery store, I can almost guarantee he will find two safe foods for him that are brand new. I don't even look at other things. He is on the hunt. He wants to go with me. So giving them that, that power and, and, and saying like, okay, Sarah, this is actually not your disease. This is their disease. They need to know how to manage it. I also think that one thing that has enabled me to, to let them have a little more slack, and not everybody has this opportunity, but he has given himself epinephrine. And that has been really critical for me. I do worry about my other twin who hasn't had reactions that he can even remember. And he has not had the opportunity to give it. His ability to recognize a severe allergic reaction because it's been since nine months old. And so that does worry me a little bit more about him, whereas the one with more food allergens, he's given it to himself. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, well, now I've done that. That's not a big, that, that was easy. So important for kids as early as they are uh, mature enough to process and handle it to understand self-advocacy and self-care particularly as they get older and spend more time away from home with peers and in new environments. And to give, to self-administer epi, to read a label, those are fantastic self-advocacy and self-care skills. One of the day-to-day -day challenges of living with food allergy and managing the disease as a chronic illness with emergent uh, episodes is all the other people in your life who are involved on your team. Can you talk a little bit about who you've had to enlist in keeping your children included and safe, and maybe places where you've been successful and places where you didn't get the response that you had wanted? Mm -hmm. Food allergy is so unique because socially you really depend on the goodness of other people. As much as I would educate certain people, they still were very re reluctant to include my kids in birthday parties or they would in, not invite us to taco night because they presumed it was going to be too hard for us. So we did get excluded a lot socially by people because they had made the decision for us that it mm -hmm. would be too difficult. That proved to be very hard for me, for my husband as well. I think for someone who's maybe more social than I am, it, it could be very hurtful. And it was hurtful, but I sort of was able to let it go a little bit. So I think that that was probably the trickiest part 
The other tricky part is family members who don't don't get it. Despite education and seeing you know your family member sick, you still can't have a party without nuts on the table. On the flip side, to talk about the positive things, is we have had incredible teachers letting me come to every lunch for years. I was able to clean the tables and help other food allergy parents who weren't able to get to lunch every day and give other people that sort of security that I was there. You know, being as optimistic and as partnering and like teamwork as you possibly can with the schools and the teachers has been really, I think, a big part of our success in managing school situations. You know, the school, the teachers will text me pictures of things and ask me, you know, is this safe? And I really have tried to develop a very good relationship and a positive working relationship with with the teachers. And it has really always been successful. You know, they still get left out of some things, right? The the party at the end for all the marbles in the jar is a pizza party. So there's still struggles like that. But I think that in general, the schools are becoming more aware of this isolating um, experience for kids with food allergy. Not everywhere, but I think overall it may be improving a little bit since my kids were little. So I just want to emphasize something about you attending lunch every day. So you had to make some significant changes to your life when your kids were diagnosed. Did you stop working professionally as an allergist at that point? I did. One of my twins got sick so often that I just did not feel comfortable leaving him. He had been to the ER so many times. He had terrible eczema. He'd be covered in hives. No one knew what was wrong. He vomited all the time to the point where it was four or five times a day I was cleaning up just mucus vomit all day long. I did give up my job for that. You know, I know not everyone can do that, and I had the luxury to be able to do that. And I used luxury loosely because it didn't feel necessarily like a luxury at the time because I I gave up a lot of my own career to take care of, of the kids. But as moms, we do what we feel we need to do. But it was definitely hard to, to walk away from that. So since that time, you've come back into the professional fold, and you do this wonderful programming through Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. Can you talk a little bit about the program that you run? It was really important to me. You know, I had started a blog um, called The Allergist Mom, which is actually no longer online. It was this, you know, way to sort of bridge professional life with personal life? How can I help bridge the gap in knowledge or understanding from both perspectives? And I really wanted to bring that to um, real people. And in my community and in my, in, in, at, back at Lurie, it was important for me to get back to Lurie Children's Hospital. So I sort of presented this idea as an educational experience for not only Lurie patients, but also patients in the community. So it's called Food Allergy Support and Education. And it basically is consisted of um, three main things. One is additional patient support. So if there's parents in clinic who um, the other physicians feel like could use a little extra support, um, then they will refer them to me. I also do a lot of community outreach, lectures at schools, EpiPen training. Um, I've been called in for, to schools to talk about you know episodes of bullying that have happened. So a lot of community outreach and education. And then, um, honestly, my favorite part are the hangouts that we do. We kicked off our preschool hangout um, last month, and we do um, 9 to 12-year-olds, and it just started a teen group. If you had to explain the burden of food allergy to someone who had never thought about food allergy for a second, what do you think some of the day-to-day challenges are 
that a non-food allergy family might not even think about. Oh my gosh. I mean, that list feels endless to me when I look at friends who don't have food allergy. My friend and I were discussing, you know, that sort of constant awareness that food allergy parents have and sort of coined it as hypervigilance fatigue. You are always on your toes. For preschoolers, it was like, well, could that swing have milk on it? Did someone just eat Cheetos over there? It's a constant surveillance of the environment. The spontaneity is is something that you lose. You can't just stay longer at grandma's house because you don't have dinner. Constantly having food accessible because what if? What if the flight is delayed? What if the bread didn't get delivered? What if they lose the suitcase with all my safe food in it? And this isn't just like once a month. This is every day, every meal, every snack. And so I think that that idea of it just being constant is the hardest thing. Sometimes like if my friends ask me, like, what is it like? I basically just pull up a folder that I have in my phone and I show them what reactions look like and I show them the preparation that it takes for me to send two food allergic children to an overnight camp. It shocks people. And I think that, you know, I take it as a compliment when people say, you just make it look so easy, but it is not easy. And I think I like to make it look easy because I don't ever want the kids to feel as though it's a burden to me because it isn't. I find joy in in doing that for them. But the idea of, um, because I do have a child without food allergy, and I think that's just a lot easier. But now he still has worries. He won't eat nuts. He's not allergic to nuts. He has his own sort of food issues as well. And so it trickles to the whole family. It's not just the food allergic child. It's the parents. It's the parents' marriage. It's the parents' relationship. It's the relationship between siblings. It's the relationship between your family and extended family members. It's a very complex disease. So in addition to being a food allergy mom, Sarah, I understand that you recently discovered your own food allergy. I did. My food allergic twins were with my husband at a movie. And I was home with my two technically non-food allergic kids. And they were like, let's go get ice cream. So I chose butter pecan ice cream. As I was eating it, I felt like the vanilla part wasn't actually worth my calories. So I just dug in for just the pecans. A few minutes after I was eating it, I started noticing that my lips were tingling and that they were swollen. And I kept saying to the kids, are my lips swollen? And I could feel this like very weird feeling in my mouth. About five minutes later, I felt this feeling of the blood in my body draining from my head to my feet. I started to panic. I had the kids bring me the injectable epinephrine that we had in the house. I gave myself one. I felt no different. And I thought, I cannot believe that I'm going to die of this. My two non-food allergic kids are going to be destroyed. And then my other food allergic kids are going to know their mom died of the disease they have. I gave myself another injectable epinephrine shortly after the first. And after I took that second one, I did start to feel better. My son had already called 911. I was like hyperventilating because I was terrified. About five minutes later, I had that same blood draining feeling. I gave myself another injectable epinephrine. Medics came and the first thing they asked me was, do I have panic attacks? which of course I was mortified because if anyone's gonna have a panic attack by now in their life, I would have already had them. And so the way that I was sort of treated, I felt was unfortunate and it gave me a really good look into what people with food allergy actually experience. And I do feel that I'm very very aware now of 
all aspects of the experience, but it also has put a fear into me that is is different than I had before. A fear for both myself and for my kids and that horrible feeling that I felt and knowing that they feel that has been very hard for me. So you had eaten pecans in your life and so this is an adult onset allergy. Right. And you carry your epinephrine with you everywhere and you practice strict avoidance. Yes, I do. And you also got a window into some of the problems that our community has when they call 911 yeah. because many EMTs second guess whether it is anaphylaxis or if symptoms have improved because of the administration of epi, sometimes EMTs are reluctant to transport because they think the patient looks okay. And we've heard those stories over the years. Yeah. I mean, he actually um, said to me, well, I can't believe you gave yourself three. Your heart rate's going to be out of this roof. Your blood pressure's going to be sky high. When we got into the ambulance, I took my blood pressure, and it was like 100 over 50. Finally, actually, when we get to the emergency room and he was retelling the story, I actually said, I've had enough of you downplaying my experience. You know, I said, not only am I an allergist, I have kids who have food allergy. I understand the pathophysiology of anaphylaxis, and I know exactly how to treat it, and that's what I did. But it was very hard for me to feel as though I was not believed. And I felt that as a mom, but I never felt it as an individual with food allergy. And my last question to you is if you were to have an opportunity to speak to some of the allies that we rely on or some folks we'd like to be allies, whether they be food companies or medical institutions, people in the hospitality industry, as your children move into adulthood and will be out and about in the world, what do you hope for them and what do you hope the world at large is able to offer to them? First of all, just like with any chronic illness is empathy understanding what their needs are and and their need to advocate for themselves, that it doesn't seem um, annoying or bothersome that your child is coming up or your young adult is coming up and asking at, you know, the cafeteria every single day the same question, does this contain egg or nuts? It may be tiresome for you to answer that, but it's more tiresome to ask it. And so becoming partners with kids and young adults who have food allergy and realizing um, the stress and anxiety that it causes them. I had anaphylaxis in October, and I was just at a teen event, and they showed a, a reenactment of a child having anaphylaxis, and I was feeling sick to my stomach. Just remembering the panic and the feeling of impending doom that I personally had, this is the feeling that my kids experience. Being able to feel secure in the food that you're eating is just so absolutely critical. And I watch a lot of people make food because I'm real nosy when they're making my kids food. And I think even the food service people don't understand that a glove can't go from a safe food to an unsafe food back to the safe food. Like the glove is not the, <laughs> the, glove is not the issue. I always say, when you're making my kids food, just make it from beginning to end. Don't do anything else. But it's also a hard request, right? Because they're busy and touching literally everything, handles, and then back to the, you know, the food. Well, Sarah, this has been terrific. Thank you so much for being a guest today on our podcast. And thank you so much for your leadership and your advocacy and the great education work you do for our community. I know I've benefited from it personally, and many, many other people have. And uh, just keep on doing it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jen. I feel the same about you. Keep up the good work, too. Thank you.
This has been Talking Food Allergy from Allergic Living. And this episode's guest was allergist and educator Dr. Sarah Boudreau Romano with Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. Be sure to visit allergicliving.com and the new This Allergic Life microsite. I'm your host, Jen Jobrak, a national food allergy consultant at foodallergypros.com.